Welcome to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I will be your host for today. This program is powered in part by the Wounded Warrior Project to honor and empower post 9-11 injured service members, veterans, and their families. I am super excited because I have two students joining me today that I would love for the audience to meet. Would you guys share your names, where you're from, and why you're here at the summit? My name is Kelsey. I am from Washington State, more specifically the Tacoma Olympia area. And I am here at the Global Summit because I really want to learn more about how to be a more effective leader and how to really empower students to be more welcoming to military kids, especially in schools and helping them adapt with the many difficulties that military life brings. And what about you? Uh, I'm Jake, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm here at the MSEC Global Conference. I'm here on behalf of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. I'm a hidden helper. And I'm here to meet other people who've gone through similar experiences that I have. Those that don't know what Hidden Helper stands for or the term, would you mind sharing what that means? So Hidden Helpers are kids of military, but our parents have been wounded in combat or due to other illnesses. So wonderful program the Elizabeth Foundation is doing working with the Hidden Helpers. So Kelsey, I'm curious, during the summit, what have you found most impactful? One of my favorite parts of the summit has been um, getting to know so many different people, so many different backgrounds. And then yesterday we had an amazing four-hour lecture from Dr. Ginsburg, which was really impactful. And Jake, what about you? So the thing I found most impactful is dealing with trauma from Dr. Ginsburg's speech, actually. That and meeting with other kids who have gone through similar experiences that I have, because I knew others were out there, but I've never met them. So it's always just kind of felt like me and my family were isolated. But yeah, there's something about feeling validated when you can find others that are like you, you know, that are having the same celebrations and the same challenges as well. Well, we are very fortunate, actually, because we asked Dr. Ginsburg to join us on the show as well today. And for those that don't know, Dr. Ginsburg is a pediatrician specializing in adolescent medicine, as well as the co-founder and director of programs at Center for Parent and Teen Communication. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. It's a complete honor and pleasure to be here. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different. We thought, and Dr. Gansberg is game for this. We're going to actually turn the mic over to Kelsey and Jake, and they're going to run the conversation with Dr. Ginsburg today. So, Kelsey, I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay, sounds good. So, one question that I've been really wanted to ask you is what got you started with MSEC? How did you really get involved? So I don't come from a military family, and uh, but what I care about deeply is resilience, thriving, recovery, the power of human connection, and how together we are always stronger than our individual parts. And honestly, the military 
uh, Child Education Coalition contacted me about mm, 17 years ago and shared with me the reality of what was going on in military families, not just the challenges, but the profound strengths of military families and how a small segment of our population was sacrificing so the rest of us can thrive. And it's our obligation to make sure that those children become their very best selves. And so for me, it's just been this profound uh, privilege. And I've, you know, I'm on the scientific advisory board. I come to almost every meeting and it's literally a highlight of my year. And probably the, the greatest answer is I've got some really good friends here, but you know how both of you said you're here because you're inspired by the young people you see here? Me too. Me too. I love walking around and meeting y'all. Amazing. Coming from a military family, for military members and kids and families, what would you say is the best way to deal with trauma? Um, I think that the power of human connection is the way we get through almost everything, right? Um, Jake, if you really think about it, you answered that question when you were asked why you were here and what you were getting out of yeah. it. And what you said is, I've had an experience, and within my family, we supported each other, which is why you're a hidden helper, and that's profound. But then you said, but what I got out of coming here is knowing that I wasn't alone. I was part of something larger. Other people have been through this. I can learn from them. I can gain support from them. And I don't need to remain silent about what I'm going through. Rather, I join with other human beings who have gone through similar things. Sometimes I'll draw support from them. Sometimes I'll lend them my support. But what I will never be is a human being who navigates this alone. And people who learn that lesson will be able to get through things that they hadn't imagined. I still wish they didn't have to. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. Right? I love the power of human connection to heal, but I dream of a world where, where we can just celebrate the good times, but that world doesn't exist. So what we can have is each other. Yes, sir. Fantastic. So one thing that you talked a lot about yesterday is being advocates for youth and really bringing to light the different challenges that military youth have with trauma and moving and deployments. Mm -hmm. So for the kids who aren't able to have the privilege of these sessions where we can come and learn more about how to be youth advocates, what are some things that you would recommend to those youth to really start becoming advocates? There are multiple ways of advocating, and this is actually the way I started the session yesterday, if you think about it, right? You can advocate one-on-one -on -one with the human beings that immediately surround you, or you can advocate in a public forum, which is really what the two of you are doing right now at this very moment. And Youth advocacy begins by being yourself. Uh, we exist in a world with lots of biases. We exist in a world where people judge people too easily. We exist in a world where youth are often belittled, right? Where we have all of these myths about young people. 
They think they're invincible. They don't like adults. They're self-centered. They can't be reasoned with. These are completely false. I could misprove either each, each of them. So what's my role as an old man? My role as an old man is to refute these myths and to spread the truths about adolescents, right? That they're inherently idealistic, that when you engage them in the right way, you can just really learn and be inspired by their thinking processes, that they care deeply about adults, that they're not inherently risky, that they are growing, they're super learners and they have to stretch their limits. So my job is to tell the truth, right? Your job, be you, right? Your job is to show people who you really are. And more or less, by being you, you're communicating to people who don't understand the potential of youth, like, in your face. Let me show you who I really am, right? Um, and then when they see you as an individual being a superb, thoughtful, growing, developing human, it opens them up to realize that the youth that live in their house and reside in their communities also possess these strengths. And then for some of you, go out and talk about that. But what every single young person listening to this podcast can be is their best selves. Doesn't mean perfect. You're developing. Screw up a little bit, but show how you recover. So... Being that kid who just moved around, lost all my friends, totally new environment, how do you get people to open up? Because me, definitely as a kid, I always wanted that older brother that I could talk to and I could share everything with. But moving around from place to place, I didn't have that. So if you recognize a kid with that, how can you get them to open up and make them feel secure and come out in the shell? Right. That's a wonderful question. I want to share with you um, uh, both Jake and Kelsey, that I'm guessing you can answer this question better than me. But let me give it a try, and then I'd love you to answer it, because I don't speak from experience. I speak from knowledge of what human beings need. So the first thing, when a human being is vulnerable, and in this case, the uh, military child is vulnerable because they're new, they're going into a new environment, and they're doing it when the most important thing to an adolescent is to be accepted by peers as they learn who they are. So this is a big deal. So what I dream of is that it isn't the youth that is vulnerable that is responsible themselves for getting into the community, but rather that the community is primed to welcome the youth who is vulnerable. Like, so imagine if we were to design a program where youth who existed in the community welcomed new youth to those communities so that the community, so that the young people didn't feel alone. They were immediately welcomed into a circle of friends and they could relate immediately to people who've had such a similar experience. I mean, that would be an amazing program to design. Oh gosh, that's what student to students is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So that's what MSEC does. So we want to always change systems. For you, as an individual, I think that the reality is it's a challenge. And for people who are shyer, break in one person at a time, right? Break in one person at a time. Show them who you are. Join a club of interest to you, art, sports, theater, whatever. Um, so you can make that one friend who can break you in. Um, 
for people who have less of a shy nature, and believe it or not, my nature is shy. I know how to teach, I know how to advocate, but my nature is shy. Um, then um, uh, for people who are less shy, you can begin to share your story because your story is very, very special. And then what I'll tell you as an older guy who has a lot of friends in the military, including colleagues, is as hard as this is, and as much as I wish that you all didn't go through this, I will tell you that some of the most special human beings I know are the people who have needed to learn to acclimate themselves to different settings. Um, acclimate meaning learning how to fit in. Why? Because you can't be judgmental of other people if you're trying to fit into new settings. You have to be open to differences, receptive to different um, ideas, a bit humble, knowing that you're always the new person. So who succeeds in life? People who are humble, people who don't judge, people who ask to be welcomed, but also want to learn. And that's, I think, who military youth are. I couldn't wholeheartedly agree more. Amen. Growing up, having the big brother thing was always nice. I always confided in family because they were with me, but not having my dad around and then him coming back and being physically disabled, that was really a strain on my mom and my siblings and stuff. So working through that was hard, but we stuck together and we just anything, even if it was a minor inconvenience, we just talked about it. And not being petty, but just understanding each other and that we were going through such a rough time really helped us because my dad didn't start showing symptoms of his disability until after. So just learning that and learning what was going on and just helping each other and having someone to talk to. I think family isn't excluded to necessarily bloodlines, just having someone who's a friend that can always listen to you, that that's family right there. And having someone away from all the pressure and not having, not being there, you know? So just working with them and having them not necessarily try to fix your problem because a disability is unfixable, That that's just how it is. But working through that and having someone to listen and not solve your problems. I've grown up in a family that is really tight-knit and especially with moving a lot, that has been really important in my family. Whenever we have like a bad first day at school where everyone already has their own cliques that they're a part of and my siblings and I have tried to find a way to join different groups that doesn't work we always know that we have a family that we can come back to that is solid and real and won't leave in any circumstance and that has been really really helpful with building individual characters and and being able as someone in a leadership position to reach out to other people who might not have that same connection with their family to know that if I need something, 
I can go to my parents and I can talk to them about it. And that helps me feel better. So I can translate that to when I'm helping other people and know that if someone's having a bad day, the best thing you can do for them is just be there for them. Talk to them, smile at them, little things that really show that they matter. And that is why my family is so important to as a military child. So I can definitely agree. If I was in charge here, I'd do a mic drop right now and I'd walk off stage. Right. Um, because like, what we just received was a master class from two young people about the essential nature of human connection. So let's let's restate it, um, if you don't mind me doing it. Um, not because I'm going to say it better than them, but because I want to underscore the lesson. So um, the world is challenging. And when a young person even when they're enduring challenges in the world, um, knows that their family is there for them, loves them and sees them exactly as they are with all their strengths and challenges and limitations, but still completely loves them. It changes the world for kids. Another way of looking at this is why do we love? So that people know they're worthy of being loved. And when a young person knows that they're worthy of being loved and they have um, their family to rely on, then they can handle almost anything. And then sometimes we have challenges within our family. And that's the time that we really learn the power of human relationships. And we really learn how it is that we support each other as family. But what you also talked about is both of you talked about the need to go outside the family. And for the parents listening, I want you to understand that when your children do go outside the family, that's not a rejection of you as the most important people in their lives. It is the fact that young people need to have spaces where they can talk about what they're going through and what they're experiencing without fear of bringing extra pain home. So Jake, I'm guessing based on what you said so elegantly is that part of the reason you went outside the family is that the family was about supporting each other and that you felt as if you didn't want to bring an extra burden home and therefore sometimes share it outside the family. Definitely. So I'm going to go from there and agree with you. I'm glad that you have that and say to you that I'm quite sure that um, the desire to spare your parents comes from the deepest and best part of you and that a parent's greatest responsibility, even when they are stressed themselves, not responsibility, excuse me, pleasure and privilege, even when they are stressed themselves is to be supportive of their children. And one of the things that I had a lot of experience with over the years with military children is how much they sometimes try to become perfect children to not create more pain for their parents at home. And one of the things that I've talked about for the last couple of decades is about parents having the don't spare me conversation with the children, which is I love you so much. I love that you're trying to protect me. I love all that you're doing for the family and please don't stop. But also understand that even as I am busy or overwhelmed, my most important job is to be there for you. So please be able to talk to me about what you're going through as well. Great. That's why it's wonderful, I think, to bring things up to your parents still, even though they're hard and 
it's not that it's necessarily helpful, but it's just amazing having someone to talk to who understands whether that's your mom, big brother, cousin, in my case, um, just coping mechanisms for dealing with it for people who understand it, people who don't understand, but feeling that empathy is really, really impactful. Mm -hmm. So besides working with what I call the big brother, you know, what other coping mechanisms would you recommend for people doing? Oh gosh, there are so many things. We actually want to have a wide variety of coping mechanisms. We want things that are going to allow us to solve problems. We want things that are going to allow us to escape problems altogether. We want things that are going to help us deal with our emotions head on. And we want things that are going to allow us to escape our emotions. We want to take care of our bodies so that they remain strong and resilient. Um, so I actually have a, a complete stress management plan that anybody listening can go to um, parentandteen.com. And if they go to the section for teens, they can find the stress management plan and parents can find like the, the teacher's guide on how to support children. But can I give it to you really quickly? It's uh, so essentially so, but, but I want you to understand why we need both to take problems on and to avoid problems altogether because human beings need a break and they need healthy breaks instead of turning to unhealthy breaks like drugs. Right? So you need good things to do. So we teach people how to manage problems in a few categories. One is um, break them down into little pieces, right? As long as the problem feels like a mountain, you fall at the base and you say, I can't do anything. But if you look at the little hills, you can step on top of the hills. You can conquer that hill and the mountain doesn't seem so far away. Next, um, you could avoid some problems altogether. You know, if there's a bully at school, talk to the principal. If there's a bully in your neighborhood, don't walk by his house, right? Like, you don't have to set yourself up for pain. Um, next, um, understand how to let certain things go, right? There are things you can control, and there are things you cannot control. And real wisdom, as the serenity prayer says, is being able to tell the difference, Taking care of your body ever so briefly, exercise burns up those stress hormones. Deep meditative breathing brings us into a relaxed state. Knowing how to really sleep restores us. Knowing how to eat well builds the strength of our body. In terms of emotions, ever so briefly, sometimes just forget about them. But don't turn to drugs. They'll destroy you and they'll destroy your family. Turn to reading a book. Turn to going for a walk, get away from it, choice, and get away from it in ways that don't allow uncomfortable thoughts and feelings to intrude back inside. Um, and uh, that's what, as a fact, reading the book is, is, does best because you're imagining what you're seeing, you're, you're um, feeling the feelings, and you're just, your brain is full. So it's a little vacation. So carry a book away around with you. And, Sometimes you got to think and feel and let go of feelings because that's so, so healthy. But sometimes it's just too hard to do that. So I'm going to read another couple chapters of Escape, right? And then the final piece is what um, the two of you and 
almost all the young people, all the young people I've met here do, which is contribute to the world. Do something good for your neighbor. Do something good for your an elder living with you or a parent who, um, who, who needs your support. Do something good because when we give to others, we learn how much we can matter. And knowing how much you matter to another human being is deeply, deeply protective. And I'm going to bring in this concept and take it one step further. You all have given intensely. And what that means is you've learned something that many people don't know by your age, which is you've learned that as hard as it is sometimes, it also feels good. It makes you feel like you have a purpose. And what that means is that at some point in your life, you're going to need to receive from another human being as well, because that's what the journey of living is. Um, and the people who make it are the people who do turn to other people to for support. And there is no doubt in my mind that every one of the young people who are hidden helpers, every one of the students for students, young people, that they will be able to receive help without shame because you'll know how good it feels to give. And so when you do that in adolescence, it helps you cope in the moment, but what it really does is set you up in the long run to cope in the ultimate way, which is what the two of you have already talked about, human connection. Human connection is more important than all the other stuff. Some people don't reach but there's no doubt in my mind that the two of you will have the power to reach because you've extended. So you talked a lot about different coping mechanisms, which is amazing. And have practicing different coping mechanisms like that have really been helpful in my life when I have been experiencing stress, but I'm sure we all have those days when we just don't want to get out of bed in the morning no. and we just feel like this weight on us. We don't want to even try to cope with it because it just seems too big. So what would you suggest for the kids and adults that are listening to this when you don't feel motivated to even get out of bed or to try to do a coping mechanism what things have you found really motivate people and pull them out of whatever funk they're in? Kelsey, I really love that question. And in all of the hundreds of interviews that I've done, I don't think I've ever received that question before. Um, so you're asking me to dig deeply in a way that I, I really enjoy and I, and I want to thank you for. Um, so the first thing is, I would say to a person who feels like that, how often do you feel like that? And if a person feels like that for a day, that's a very different category than if a person says, that's most days for me. Because if that's most days for me, then we're not dealing with something that's passing. We might be dealing with depression, which is deeply treatable. And that um, we want people to understand how treatable it is, 
And we want people to understand that there are people who know how to treat and support people to help move them out of depression. But for someone who has a fleeting day like that, where they're just exhausted, in a funk, don't want to get out of bed, I would say welcome to life. I would say that we all feel like that sometimes and that give yourself a break. Give yourself a break and say, literally, I need time and space to recover. My children, I let them take mental health days from school, right? They were allowed to take, um, uh, you know, stomach ache days. And the last thing I wanted them to do is to have their pain turn into a stomach ache rather than be really transparent about the fact that they needed a mental health day because they felt exactly the way you described. And rather than me needing to fix that, I wanted them to know that it's okay to feel that badly sometimes. Um, that, and that is what's being alive. You know the people I worry about, Kelsey? I worry about the people who don't feel, right? Um, but for young people who are sensitive, who care deeply, who take life very seriously, those are gonna be the best people in the world because they care, because they feel, because they're sensitive. And sometimes we take it out on ourselves and sometimes we get full. And on that day, allow yourself to be overwhelmed. If it goes on and just, you know, eating your worries away or whatever it is you do to take care of yourself when you're pitying yourself, if that doesn't work in a day, then it comes down to all the stuff we've already talked about. Um, you know, the human connection and sharing what you're feeling. Um, because other people will lift you up, even if it's cuddling in bed with you and say, I felt like that, it passes. But today, you can feel awful, right? It's really in the denying of emotions um, that is where I really begin to work. So that was a, two very different answers, but if you were my patient, and you came to me clinically, that's exactly the way I would respond. I would say, normal, sensitive human being having a bad day, I'm gonna celebrate her emotions. Human being having a series of days like that, she is deserving of treatment because she doesn't need to feel like this. Thank you. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about giving and receiving and depression, but it's it's hard to open up about your feelings, so I can understand not wanting to, but many people don't go to get help for their depression or their anxiety just because they're scared. What would you tell them to make them think that, oh, it's okay, I can open up, I don't always need to give, I can actually receive sometimes? Because it, it's very, very hard when you've just been giving, 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 helping other people to be like, oh, I'm the one now that needs help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, this is life. And what I would say is the strong people are people who know when they feel badly and know that they deserve to feel better. And we have a false narrative around strength, particularly men. Like we all suffer from this, but if we can just be honest that too many men have been told to suppress their feelings for too long. And too many men have been told that, you know, just get past it. You can handle it, right? And that is a crying shame. And it's created an enormous amount of suffering, um, probably for as long as humanity has existed. So we need to really change our language, right? 
And we need to help people understand that um, the easy answer is I'm going to suppress my feelings. But it's also not the way to heal. Strength is knowing what your potential is. A strong human being is someone who says, I don't feel right and I deserve to feel better. Um, and, uh, you know, ask me how I know this. How do you know this? Yeah, so, you know, I've got a bunch of degrees and stuff, but the truth is that I know this because I was a 17-year-old who was deeply, deeply depressed and who didn't go for help because it was 1979. And I come from a culture that can just, you know, you just become funnier when you really have a lot of stuff on your mind. So, as a result, I did a really good job of hiding it. And, and this low point in my life where I didn't reach out to people where the things that I hated about myself were all the things that were the best things about myself, right? It was my intense sensitivity. Um, it was how deeply I cared that has made me like really a good dad and a decent enough husband. And it's the reason I'm on this like show today with you, right? Um, but it wasn't because like I was like born with this wisdom is because I made some really bad mistakes when there wasn't much of an option. You know, the fact that this is 43 years later means that there's options. There's people who will recognize that young people who are um, suffering, who are the most deeply sensitive people, and they're not going to approach you with pity or shame. They're going to approach you hoping and dreaming of the day where you'll learn to celebrate the intensity of your feelings, right? And that's the goal. So a thing you said yesterday repeatedly, which I love, is resilience is exhausting. Can you maybe explain that a little bit again? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've written books on resilience, right? And, and you know, um, so many of the, so much of the stuff about resilience is framed as optimism and like, it's really good. And in some ways it's been used as a, um, you know, well, gosh, your life is hard, but dang it, you're resilient as if it's kind of a, what's it called when it's like the second place prize, like your life's been hard, but at least you're resilient. And I think that there's a certain way in which that's almost offensive. Um, cause our dream is not to build a world where everyone's resilient. Our dream is to build a world where everyone thrives. Um, and while suffering does build resilience, I far prefer you not to suffer. And when you are suffering, whether it is from, you know, um, a uh, illness in the family or a disability in the family, whether it is uh, poverty or racism, or all sorts of ways in which human beings suffer. I want other human beings to know what our goal is and our goal is to alleviate suffering. It's not to celebrate resilience. We have to acknowledge how hard it is, how exhausting it is to constantly have to find your inner strength when life is hard. I'm still gonna write about this stuff. It's still my main focus. I still believe in it, but it's really important that people don't hear me and think it's easy. It takes work. Thank you.
I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us and with the people listening. It's been really awesome. So as we're closing, I was wondering if there was any last little snippets of advice or recommendations or things that you think that people really need to hear. Yeah, I have something to say that's going to be not surprisingly utterly brilliant. Um, and uh, that is, uh, don't listen to me during this podcast. Play it back and understand what actually happened here. Um, what actually happened here is that two young people demonstrated to you the potential and the depth of adolescence. Um, and I came along for the ride. And everything I care about is about young people being seen as they deserve to be seen, not through this like lens of mythology that shuts them down. And so while I blab a lot about these subjects, it is a rare and special experience where it is so clearly demonstrated as it was for the two of you. Like I almost wish that they could create another version with like no Ginsburg on this and that people could just listen to who the two of you were here because that's the real lesson. Thank you. Well, I want to thank all three of you for joining us today. We appreciate Dr. Ginsburg's continual support of our military community and are excited about the recent release of his book, Congrats, You're Having a Teen, Strengthening Your Family and Raise a Good Person. Remember to check out the show's notes that will include information about Hidden Helpers, MSEX Wellbeing Toolkit, as well as Dr. Ginsburg's website, Parent and Teen Communication. We'd also like to thank again the Wounded Warrior Project for making today's podcast possible. You've been listening to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. Until next time, live great stories.